0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 180. I'm Art Regner. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's always a great time to end your hard-earned day of work where you're pounding that pavement with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. With that said, let's get right into it. Uh, one of the most popular podcasts we did was uh, right around the mid-season mark with the Athletics, Max Boltman, and the television voice for Bally Sports Detroit of the Red Wings, Ken Daniels. And they're joining us now as uh, the Red Wings are facing a very uh, busy offseason, shall we say. So let's bring in Max and Ken. Ken, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Art, to be with you both.
0: I just want to know why we don't get any of the LeBat Blue. Well, you know what? They've, uh, you know, we're still working on it uh, uh, for for our sponsors, and hopefully, uh, year six of the podcast will be will will go. We'll be able to work out something. But uh,
2: I think the next edition needs to be over a pitcher of LeBat Blue. Well,
0: that? there we go. That would sound, you know, that would sound good. I, I'm all for that. But uh, with that said, let's get right into it because we have limited time today. Uh, the Red Wings finished 25th overall. In the NHL this year. They were 32-40, 10 ties, 74 points. Uh, they were 25th in total offense, 230 goals, 4. They uh, were almost dead last in defense. They gave up 312 goals. Uh, kind of an odd season right at the end of the year, their last game in New Jersey. Uh, the Red Wings did defeat the Devils and then the very next day Steve Eiserman made the announcement that Jeff Blaschel, that his option would not be picked up. So the Red Wings are looking for a new coach. Uh, before we begin, I've been on record saying this, I've known Jeff Blaschel an awful long time, going back to his days in college hockey. I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. Uh, I think he treated, and I know Max and Ken would agree, everybody with dignity and class and respect, and we certainly wish him the best. With that said, um, let me start. I, I am not surprised that Steve made this move. Max and Ken, let's start with you, Max. What, what did you think of it?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I'll just echo what you said. I, I thought he was really good to deal with for my entire time on the beat, and I, uh, I think he is going to have another chance in the NHL someday, and I, I really hope he succeeds at it. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I think the way that the way that the season started, I thought it was really looked like a step forward for them and, and what happened as the year went on, really as the calendar turned, pretty much uh, mid-February on, the Red Wings got into this stretch it, that it just seemed like they couldn't get out of. And I think that, when you look back on this decision, you have to start right there. Because through the first couple months of the season, certainly, the Red Wings had taken significant steps. And I, I thought, you, you look at this team, and it was a team that not only was you know winning more than we were used to seeing them in the past, but they were winning... Um, games that we didn't see them compete in in the past. They, were, they would go on the road and beat Washington. Um, they, they were playing tight games and, and they were finding a way, even when they would lose, there was a lot of fight. And I think that was something you had seen build over the, the previous uh, season. And so it looked like kind of the logical next step. And um, kind of by the time that February, mid-February point hit, you started to see it get away from them a lot. And, and you saw that you know they have 10 goals to Toronto, nine to Arizona, 11 to Pittsburgh. Once that kind of happened, I think the writing was on the wall that there was going to be um, probably a change made because it's it's just really hard to um, to look at that, I think, and, and see the the same progress that you, you probably hope to see early in the season. At least that's how I'd kind of diagnose it. I don't know what you think, Ken.
1: All the same. I think when you allow 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 and every goal imaginable in that way. And the worst was when the goals piled up and just how they were losing. Granted, around that time, and, and I guess that strange Toronto game, the 10-7 game um, was probably part of it. They, they, they couldn't get a win, they couldn't get a save. And I think that was part of it too, and they didn't have enough to overcome that. And then you start to lose your confidence. I do think looking back at the season though, you're probably not as good as you were at your best and you're probably not as bad as you were at your worst. It's somewhere in the middle, and for the most part, I think for many people, it was probably where the red wings should have finished and i and i think how they started gave folks hope but i also thought it was false hope and not not just because they couldn't keep it up but just because of the division they were in and the teams that they were going to be playing they weren't going to make the playoffs but it was how they were losing that i think um was the final straw
0: uh do you think and you know and i go back and i know i've said this many times but chuck daly told me many many years ago that uh, with the Detroit Pistons, he knew when he was losing uh, the room, so to speak, was that they were certainly attentive and they would listen to him, but their eyes were staring through him, meaning that he knew that the message, no matter what he said to him, just had gotten old. Do you think that there is some validity to that, that Jeff had been there for seven years, and even though the roster is turned over, that eventually it, it, the, the message just does not resonate? um
1: perhaps but it's also that aside though on 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 seven years i mean barry trotz went 15 years in nashville um it's where you are in the process of how you're building your team so i think beyond that even in the way that they were losing i just think it was probably and in steve's mind too it was time for a change because now with the draft picks that you've had and the draft picks that you hope that are still coming and are going to make it uh to the red wings whether it be this year next year or the year after all of a sudden now you've got that time to get a new coach you've seen jeff for another year and he saw some players develop fine under him, whether it be Raymond or Sider, et cetera. I just think it's time that in the evolution of where your team is going to try to take that next step, whether it be a year, two years or three years from now, to push in a first round of a playoffs if you get there, that maybe that's where the new coach comes in. So I, I just think it's a matter of timing too.
2: Yeah, it's impossible to say without you know, being one of those players in the locker room. But, but I also don't even know that it matters, right? Whether it was that the message wasn't getting through or the message was getting through and that was the result. Um, either one, it, it's not, it wasn't a situation that I think was, you, you can't lose games like that to Ken's point and, and have it continue for, for too long. And so whether it was getting through or it wasn't, I think you end up at the same conclusion pretty much.
0: When we look at uh, what the Red Wings need, Uh, I I know you fellas uh, talked to several people. I am under the impression, and based on what Steve has indicated, that one quote about uh, when he would get in his car after a practice and drive home, he would be cursing out that coach. But uh, as time passed, he learned that that coach actually made him a better player. Do you see this next coach, whomever it may be, being a disciplinarian, being very accountable, and maybe being somewhat difficult to deal with?
1: Um, For me, I don't think necessarily difficult to deal with. But again, you know whether you want to throw out names that uh, well, we're all familiar with, with John Tortorella, etc. Yeah, I don't know if he's necessarily difficult to deal with. I think you 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 can speak to many players who played for him and they love playing for him. Is he a disciplinarian? Yes. Uh, Does he demand a lot? Sure. Does he hold players accountable? Sure. I think Jeff Blaschel did too. Can you get a coach now at a different stage in your development to hold you more accountable, to teach things maybe differently? So that's where your new voice comes in to do things defensively that you weren't even aware of before to get the most out of you. A new coach comes in, whether it be midseason or new season coming, you're going to have players who are more on edge, paying more attention. And now you take that next step and you're learning different things. So sure you want a coach to hold players accountable, disciplinary, Maybe, but that's where Steve decides uh, whom he wants, and there are, are many to choose from. Max, y- your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think similarly. I, mean, I think it, the word that – he did the interview with 971 and I thought that was a, a, a good interview that um, I think it was Stoney and Jansen did. And I think the, the phrase he used was he wanted somebody demanding. And I think there's plenty of ways to be demanding. You, just, you can do it through discipline or, or you can do it just through, hey, like these are the expectations – and, and, you know, the quote that he gave at, at our press conference that we did with him at the end of the season is he said, you know, you don't have to be just one thing. You're not a, a, a militant coach or a player's coach. You, you kind of can adjust and you can be what the situation calls for and um, you, you find a way to make it, make it do with what you have. And um, so I, I think demanding, yes, and I, whether that's their discipline or something else, the point is you want somebody who sets the standard they're able to keep the standard, and they're able to get the most out of the players they coach. And as much as we would love to think that that's a clue, I think that's probably true of just about any uh, any good coach in Canada that we could possibly dream up, isn't it?
1: Yes, and you know, and you know, you can, you can use the because his name is frequently used now because he's available. Uh, as much as it was surprise uh, on the island, but we shouldn't be surprised of anything that Lou does because only Lou knows. He's, <laughs> only the Lou, their Lou's clues. Um, Barry Trotz, he's, he's lasted in places where he did. It was a strange situation in Washington to win a cup with McCullen and, and then leave. Um, but in Nashville, again, for so long, but he held players accountable in a different way, not necessarily a disciplinarian. Torts does it his way. Joel Quenville has his stare, but lasted a long time. And I think for some, you know, Joel Quenville's gonna get back in. Paul Maurice the same way. He's demanding. He knew his message wasn't getting through anymore, but players love playing for Paul Maurice. And I know some within the Red Wing and love playing. Paul Maurice, great guy. So you can be held accountable. And as Max said, and as Steve said, there are many different ways to do that. I don't think we should put any coach in just one box and that's the one thing that the Red Wings need good coaches are good coaches because they can vary their approach to what fits the need
0: well you know we, we when we talked to Steve when he had his general presser not not the one that he did on uh, 97 one uh, but uh, you know obviously uh, you know he, he was joking around as usual as he does at times uh, people like I guess sometimes forget that he does have a pretty witty and good sense of humor he said he hopes to have a coach in place before a training camp uh, and then i said that was rest assuring but uh you know obviously they're going to need a coach by uh by the draft he's going to want to exactly have that coach name which is in early july what is it the sixth seventh, seventh and eighth in uh, uh in montreal uh i am uh, curious I-, I think now that the first rounds are starting to end and we have uh uh, you know, a couple of Game 7s. We're doing this on Sunday, the 15th of May with uh, uh, with the Rangers and Penguins and then the, uh, uh, the, the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames. But things will start moving, I would imagine, now that teams are being eliminated and guys are going to start getting interviews that maybe guys who are being interviewed might leak something out. But I am under the impression that this coach is not going to get named until sometime in the middle of June at the very earliest. Do you guys feel the same way? That Go ahead, Max.
2: right to me. I mean, it, it, it you know, ultimately the, he, while he would not set like a firm, serious parameter, I, I do think he, when he talks about being done by the draft, he doesn't just mean, you know, because he wants to parade a new coach around at the draft or anything like that. I think it's because he wants to get to work on uh, the many, important you know tasks that he's going to have that really center around you know the draft usually is right before free agency and you you get into development camp and uh, so really i look at it as probably a couple weeks two three weeks before the draft um just so that they can turn their full attention to everything that that prepping for the draft demands prepping for free agency demands so i think that yeah that puts it right around early to mid-june but would it shock you if it came down at the end of next week, I don't think any of us are, uh, are are real apt to be surprised by by Steve Eisenman anymore. I think he, he's uh, he's shown that that it's, he's very hard to predict. So, uh, I, I would think by mid to late June, I would expect there to be you know progress there. Uh, but but other than that, I don't know that I would set too many parameters.
1: No, and I would expect that if there were a leak, it won't be that coach. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't think there's going to be a leak, and whether he goes Europe, whether he goes college, whether he goes junior, whether he goes someone on the sidelines now, or someone in, a, in two weeks isn't coaching where he's coaching now anymore, outside of a, you know, a Barry Trot Stanley Cup, that, that's rare, so I, I, you know, with Washington, so I, I think you probably know where you're going right now.
0: You know, I'm going to take a little bit of exception what you guys are saying, because I, I will say this. I think that anybody who knows the history of Red Wings or knows Steve Eiserman as a player, uh, you know this is a guy that had 160 some odd points uh, in a season when Scotty got here. And I know we're talking about I consider the greatest coach in any sport, uh, Scotty Bowman, uh, and uh, and and I'm a big John Wooden fan too, by the way. But with all that said, I just think that when Steve had to alter his game, and based on the way the Red Wings defense was just an abomination. I can't help but think that whomever it is, whether it's a college coach, a European coach, an established coach, or or an up-and-coming assistant coach in the NHL, if you're not defensive-minded and you don't stress defense, you are not going to be the Red Wings' next head coach. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Steve wants to build this team, hopefully from the crease out. But... He wants this team to be much, much, much better defensively than they've shown.
2: Well, I think that's a fact. That that's what he wants. But do you have to be defensive? I mean, what does what defensive-minded, I guess, mean? That's because I can't think of any successful coaches who who tell their players don't play defense, right? So I think that's just. It's like like, we're, like we've been saying. It's just part of the overall picture. Defense is absolutely probably the biggest problem that the red wings have as a team they give up the second most goals in the nhl this season but i don't think he's going in there saying you know i don't care if you don't know how to draw up a four check or a power play right i I think you know as long as you can put a structure in the d zone i I would guess it's just good coaches know how to get their teams to defend and so in that sense yes but i don't think there's like a you know the bottom line is the defense nothing else matters situation
0: well you know i understand what you're saying max but ken let me throw this to you you mentioned barry trotz let's be honest Everybody knows that Barry Trotz is not maybe uh, uh, God's gift to offense in the NHL, but defensively, he look at what he did for the Islanders. He, I mean, he turned them around. Granted, I know a lot of Islander fans are friends of mine and, uh, that I went to school with, and you know, they said that he really made it kind of boring hockey, and that might have been one of the criticisms with some of their star players. But what do you think, Ken? Do you think that defense is going to have to be this coach's, for lack of a better term, hallmark?
1: Yeah, but does it have to be, uh, listen, I, and I love Barry Trotz and, and a wonderful man and a great coach. He went, he turned the Islanders in the worst defensive team in the league to first. I, I don't see a Stanley Cup in their hands but but also you've got some creativity here whether it be Verana or Raymond and you want to get Zadina going you'd love to you know even Dylan Larkin in his own zone defensively are there things to learn from all these guys sure and Bertuzzi I think you've got some offense here too and you want to put some some seats in the some some butts in the seats in the building too. And you'd like to sell some excitement and you're up and, and building as well. So I don't think it's the be all and end all. Again, whether it be Barry Trotz and you say defense, last time I looked, Joel Quenville can teach defense. Paul Maurice can teach defense. There's a lot of coaches that are good coaches that again will adapt and can teach defense. But yes, Barry Trotz is a good example, but I think it's more than just that.
2: Well, let me, let me add on to that point here because you say, you know, his defense, and I agree that's how we did it with the Islanders. But that's an example of what we're talking to about a coach who adapts to his players. When Barry Trotz was with the Washington Capitals, he scored 3.05 goals per game. That's the fourth most in the league in that span while he was there. And one of those three teams that's ahead of him was Vegas, which only played one season. And the, the team that was, the only two teams that were ahead of him were ahead of him by .01 and .02 goals per game. So Washington didn't have any trouble scoring goals or putting up offense under Barry Trotz. You know, it's just that they also happen to be a pretty complete team. That's why they want to stay the cup under him.
0: Well, right. No, and I agree with that. I mean, obviously, when you have, uh, you know, Ovechkin and, and Bastrum doing their thing and, you know, they have uh, uh, Kuznetsov, they have some high-end forwards. I, I absolutely uh, I, I agree with you. But uh, I, I think if you talk to Washington Capital fans, when Trotz got there, he he, he stressed they had to play D2. I mean, Washington was a team that, you know, could not uh, – Uh, not get out of the playoffs. We're always losing to Pittsburgh, it seemed like every single year. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think we're probably kind of, splitting hairs here sure. but with that said i really want to move on because we could talk about the coach forever and i and ken's got a big uh a big to do tonight i think or something but uh so I, it's I, something
1: art it's something <laughs> yeah
0: i know it's something <laughs> and i know it's six thirty. uh he's gonna he's gonna walk off set no matter what you know uh but but with all that said seriously do you care to throw out a name? Because I'll throw out a name. I, I'll throw one out. But do you guys have a feel whom you think the coach, next coach of the Red Wings might be? We're not going to hold you to it. But uh, w- what would you think Steve may go? And I know I'm asking to get inside Steve's head, which is virtually impossible. Right. So
1: I won't even try. I have absolutely no idea what he's thinking, because when he went to Tampa Bay, if someone said, John Cooper. Who the hell knew who John Cooper was, in all honesty, at the time that he'd be a National Hockey League coach and maybe the greatest coach going right now in the NHL? So can Steve go totally off the grid? Hell yeah. No one except for a few knew anything much about Mo Sider either. So I'll tell you what, I don't even pretend to get into his head. All I know is I will trust his choice. Max?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard to follow that answer because I tend to agree with you. I will try to throw a couple names um, just based on this is not, you know, I don't have any indication that he's going this way. It's just w- when he's talked uh, publicly to us, he has talked about how he does like working with people um, who, who he knows, who he's worked with before and kind of know how he works and he knows how they'll work together. doesn't sound like that's a limiting factor, but I do think if you can go back and look to the Tampa organization um, and, and see a couple people, uh, Ben Gruel, their AHL coach there, Uh, And and you can look at on the bench there, uh, they've got Jeff Halpern and Derek Lalonde, and they've also got a former assistant coach from when Steve was there, now with Nashville, uh, Todd Richards. Just if if you're looking for people that have some familiarity with him, that that have been a part of successful organizations and maybe could be ready to make the next step, that kind of jumped into the front of my mind when you talk with people who have worked with him before. But to Ken's point, I got no idea who he's looking at. Those are just names that kind of clicked into my head when when he talked about why he values familiarity. Do you think if
1: I if I can just I, I I just how how much has a coach whether it be assistant now in the NHL as he run a uh, as he run the bench elsewhere, and I know that was a concern uh, for Ken Holland when dave lewis in spite of the fact you're taking over for for the greatest coach and you're going from assistant to head coach in the same room even though times then were different with the veteran leadership and i say veteran in late 30s mid 30s at the time it was a different time than it is now and kids driving the bus these days but i want to know as that coach run a bench before at this level because if you're you're trying to teach defense with the red wings and you're the head coach and you want to bring structure and you Want to be a disciplinarian? Uh, where are you going with somebody who maybe hasn't run a bench at an elite level before? That's that. That's I'm not saying you can't, uh, but that would be a consideration. I would think.
2: All very fair. Yeah, I, I
0: agree with that. You know, I, I like Derek Lalonde. I, 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 you know, I think that uh, he might be an interesting candidate. And I don't know what's going on in Vegas, and I know that. Uh, Bruce Boudreau now is staying in Vancouver, and speculation. But if somehow Pete DeBoer becomes uh, uh, available, I I think that that you know, obviously, I would think Steve would call him. I mean, I think that you know, DeBoer uh, very had a lot of great success with the old Plymouth Whalers. uh, But uh, he's always been a guy that uh, that I've always admired, and I like, and I know that he's no nonsense, but he's able to make his point without maybe alienating players so except the goalies well yeah, you know that that exactly. whole Vegas thing or yeah, the agents right, right. No, or well, the, the agents yeah you, you know yes. I, I, I I'll tell you something you know at this point uh you know uh, Ned looks like he's <laughs> I don't think I don't think it affect him one way or the other and you know and Costa thinks he's a starter in two years so I just like all of that but uh but we'll have to move on from that I I, I want to go at, at the current Red Wing roster and I know that they have a couple of uh uh, unrestricted free agents, and I'm just going to say them and whom you think is going to be back and who do you think is not going to be back. Uh, Sam Gagne is an unrestricted free agent. I mean, Turner Elson's an unrestricted free agent. I think they'll probably get some sort of deal done with him. But Danny DeKaiser, Mark Stahl, both goaltenders, and Thomas Grice and uh, Magnus Hellberg, and then Carter Roney. Uh, I, I think conventional wisdom says uh, Mark Stahl and Sam Gagne may be back, but w- what do you fellas think?
2: Those to me be the two that stand out, but it, it is kind of the eternal question. I would I, I would if I'm running the team, I think there's a real value to bringing both of those guys back, both both for what they do on the ice and off the ice. The question becomes, if you're bringing every if you if you're bringing in a bunch of bringing back a bunch of guys, how much spots do you have? To, to use in free agency, and I think that's the question. To me, th- those two guys are important parts of the leadership group. You know, Sam Gagne, I think, had a really underrated season. I don't know that people always gave him enough credit for the amount of production that he had in in a really um, you know bottom six certainly for the entire year. I mean, he finished seventh on the team in in, in points with thirty one. He was playing thirteen minutes a night, uh, certainly more more utilized on the penalty kill than the power play. So um, that's a guy that stands out to me, and and obviously brings some presence. And, and Mark Stahl, to me, was one of the Red Wings defenseman who you really saw keep plays alive in the offensive zone I know people think of him in the big body for more so what he can do handling size on the defensive end but that really stood out to me watching Mark Stahl was the way that he pinched down and kept plays alive something I don't think the Red Wings did um, nearly well enough outside of Mo Sider this season so I think there's both elements that that can make you think both of those guys should be back the question just is how many spots do they think they need to free up for what they want to right. do in free agency
1: They don't have a lot on the left side, uh, so certainly install. And I think, you know, when you talk about when is that coach going to be hired, and I think long before unrestricted free agency, I think that may play in too. Maybe the coach has his thoughts, and there's a collaboration there he wants. I think it's where are they using Rasmussen? Where's Stevens fit in? Is Rowney become redundant in that regard? What are you looking at third and fourth line? Where do you see Ernie? So, you know, and Gagne. Where's Gagne going to fill? If it's not fourth line, can he go third? And who's moving here or there? So I think there are a lot of parts to determine on who's going back. And I think the next head coach is going to have uh, some say in that too, perhaps.
0: When How about Magnus Helberg? Interesting signing. Everyone thought maybe he was signed to play for GR as they were frantically trying to make the playoffs. Uh, uh, do you think that they may work out a deal with him I, I mean i i i think everyone assumes that grace is obviously gone but uh is, is helberg in the picture or do you think they'll uh they'll go elsewhere
2: well it's weird because they they only signed him to the one-year deal and that late in the season so right away my my kind of intuition would be well if they wanted to keep him they would have just signed him for two years I, I guess you could make an argument where they worried about him getting claimed passing through waivers or something but um, my, I guess my gut instinct was if he was brought in for, for end-of-season depth to get him to the finish line. Obviously, there was a little bit of uncertainty with Grace there toward the end. But that could have just been a short-term thing. Um, but I also look at the backup goalie market this summer, and it's not all that inspiring. You know, it's you know, Casey DeSmith or is it Jonas Korpisala, if you want to take the chance that uh, he can bounce back, and a lot of guys who I think are going to go back to their... Their teams Braden Holtby, i guess stands out as a guy so it's not the most inspiring backup goalie market that'd be the only reason that i would say you know maybe there is something there um, but to me if you're only signing him for what, what ended up being i think nine or ten games why wouldn't you just sign him for a year and a half or, or a two a two-year deal i guess technically a, a month ago
1: yeah and he probably didn't get into a game earlier uh nadelkovich with some bonus structure in his contract so they, they you know the games that, and the wins that that he wanted to, to try to hit 20. And did that. So, Helberg finally got into a game. And I'll say this, and we didn't travel as a TV crew with the Red Wings for most of the year. But I got to say, well, we were in New Jersey and I had a long talk with Magnus Helberg. And I don't think I've met a nicer human in my entire life, like maybe the rest of the Swedes. But my goodness, if he comes back, what a guy to talk to. What a marvelous human being. And I think in the short time he was here, everybody loved him. So, he's sure no problem in the room. I'll give you that one. I don't know how many pucks he can stop, but he'd be a good guy to have in the room because the players really took to him quickly and so did everyone else who ever met that gentleman
2: well, well, we'll and he's got the endorsement from the media court no doubt about that yeah,
0: yeah. He, he was he was really really uh uh, when whenever he talked to the media. Let's look at a couple of unrestricted, or pardon me, uh, restricted free agents. Philip Zadina is restricted. Mitchell Stevens is restricted with arbitration eligible. As are restricted free agents, both el- eligible arbitration. Uh, Ollie Yuli Levy, I know, I, and Jake Wallman. Uh, I, I would assume out of the four I said, Zadina, Stevens, and Wallman, something will be probably worked out with them.
2: Yes, those would be the three for me, too. Um, you know, Zidane, I think you're probably just looking at a very logical short-term bridge deal. Gives him a chance, a look under a new coach, and then obviously he could uh, up his up his value for whenever he's going to sign something a little bit longer. Stevens, I think, similar, something short. Just give him another chance. He never really got a look this year because of the injuries. In um, Wallman, it was really short, really abbreviated just after the trade deadline. But I, I liked what, what uh, he showed, and I, I think there's something there, something certainly worth another uh, kind of look in a full season.
1: Yeah, and I, and I, yeah, bang on with, with all those three. And I think for Jake, too, and maybe that was the one thing in St. Louis, was, you know, make that decision, make that quick. Don't try to do uh, too much when you get yourself into trouble. And maybe, again, settling into an environment with, with a new coach, and that could mean a lot for me. And I think that's one of the, uh, the biggest things to come through camp in the preseason, early next season, if he's still here, and not, is Philip Zadina because uh, for me, yeah, the bridge deal is you talk about Max for sure, but I think this this has to be the year to show, and when you get a new coach coming in, well, it, it's his time to show now, or, it, or, or it's, it's a different scenery, or maybe it doesn't happen, but I'm really hoping for Philip uh, that it does happen. He's a good kid, and he just needs to find some traction, and hopefully he will early on.
0: When we look at the uh, Red Wings, what's really interesting about next season, they have several guys under under contract for next year. But then the unrestricted free agent class for 23-24, Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, Pew Suter, Oscar Sundquist, Adam Ernie, Jordan Osterley and Alex Nadalkovich. Now, I know that eventually deals are probably going to be worked out with some of these guys, and I would be under the impression, though, out of the gentlemen I just just mentioned that uh, if Steve had his way, uh, Dylan and uh, Bertuzzi would be guys that I think he would probably like to sign this year, long-term deals, and not have uh, the last year of their contract lingering through next season.
2: Yeah, that's a shadow I don't think you want to cast, especially over guys that are that are so important to what you do. And um, you know, it, it, usually if a guy is in the last year of his deal, he doesn't have an extension by the trade deadline. The noise around them is is really significant, and for obvious reason, teams can't get into the habit of letting core players walk, at, and you don't have a chance to get anything back from them once that deadline passes. So you got to know either that you have a deal in place, or that you're you're close enough with with where the number is going to be that you're going to be, be be able to get a deal done. Um, By then, and so to me, that's all stuff that you can more or less get figured out. Obviously, there's little changes. Guys can produce more or less in their final year of their deal. Maybe that affects the valuation a little bit or your comfort level a little bit. Um, But to me, what more do you need to know about either of these two guys, right? Like, there's not too much more to prove on either end. Um, I would think those are the two guys that you want to get this done now and not wait. But that said, you know, Steven Stamkos went down to the wire when when he was when Steve was in Tampa Bay. And, uh, and and Steve didn't have a problem doing that, and, and it, it worked out okay. Stamkos stayed put, and the Lightning won two Stanley Cups. So I'm not saying that he can't do it or he hasn't done it in the past. I'm just saying that's how I look at it.
1: Great analogy there. Yeah, the Stamkos one was in the in the back of my head too. But I think that, and and maybe I take Dylan out of this being the captain and and what he can give you, and it again everything that I think Steve is doing now. And even the head coach, whether it be a five-year deal, six-year deal, three-year deal, I don't know. I think whatever he's doing now is looking ahead three to four years and what pieces are in place and as players age up here we're used to say yeah and for some you can be in your late 30s and 40 you can be a Patrice Bergeron but for others where are you going to be when you're 31 or 30 and I'll use Tyler Bertuzzi as that example where is the team going to be at that point so I think that's the interesting part of these contracts is term and what Steve does and what the player does uh, in that regard where this team's going to be in a number of years down the road, I think certainly affects how Steve handles these deals.
0: Well, you know, I agree with that. I also think, though, that, you know, you know, I keep saying this, and I know I keep bringing it up, but I would be under the impression when the Red Wings get to a point where they are going to compete and they are a Stanley Cup contender, I think Bertuzzi might be moved because you'll be able to get something for him. I just, but... Uh, you know, but, you know, you never know with Tyler either. You know, he's had some interesting contract negotiations with the Red Wings, and he says that he wants to stay here. And I'm sure the Red Wings would love him to stay here. But, uh, you know, who's to say that he might not want to go to unrestricted free agency at the end of next year? You never know.
2: You don't. And that ultimately, that's part of the value of starting this these conversations now is you, you need to understand – not just you know hey can we get the deal done today but what are you looking for right and if, if the if they're far apart if they're if, if it's you know I want a maximum term deal of, of, uh, of this dollar amount and Steve says well I want a medium term deal of this dollar amount and you know you're not getting there that's good information to have too that's much better than getting surprised by it a month before the trade deadline right and, and that's not gonna happen to Steve Eiserman. he's not gonna you know, he, he's gonna be prepared he's gonna know what's going on and so I don't think you have to worry about that but that is the value that's why you start these things now so that you know exactly where you stand, where they stand, how far apart are you? If you're close, great, just get it done quick. And if you're not, maybe you, you take that time as the season gets started to get that extra information. Um, but to what you just said, are you know, if, if you think that Bertuzzi I- isn't going to be figuring into the long-term plans, I think that's the reason that you start to explore right now. Like, okay, then what's the move here? Because y- you don't really want to take the chance that you know you don't get to make that decision, right? Like, so you need to know. Where you stand where he stands i think you need to know all of that as soon as possible
1: right and you know and we can look although in a different circumstance because uh adr came into play with an artificial disc replacement yeah But Jack Eichel was the Buffalo Sabres. I think the Buffalo Sabres in the deal did okay. Jack may be fine in Vegas, and salary cap issues aside may have an effect that they should have seen coming and knew was coming and thought they could handle it, and maybe they can't. That's another story altogether. But the Buffalo Sabres moved a key piece for where they're going to be two and three years down the road. And I think anything that happens with Detroit is the same thing. And if key pieces, if you're going to move them, and I won't even say names because I hate doing that, but you know who they may be, you might be okay with a look to the future. And that's what he's doing now. I don't think it's about the present. The contracts may be, but if you can't get the present in the contract, you're moving the contract for the future.
2: Yeah. The present is just the pressure point, right? It's just the thing that makes you start Making decisions because when you get into this final one year of contracts, that's that's what happens. It's what happens. With, you know, Pat Verbeek just went to Anaheim, and one of the first things he did was trade two really big players that they had, Ricard Raquel and Hampus Lindholm. And I, I'm sure that wasn't an easy situation for that franchise. Those were both really important players there. But it's the situation that Pat Verbeek walked into, where he pretty much had a month, a little month and change, maybe to either get them extended or make a tough decision. And so the Ribbons have a lot more runtime than that right here, but but that's the pressure point. It's the, it's the UFA expiry, it forces decisions. And like to your point, Ken, that they're not always bad things for the franchise, but they're, that's just what forces the, they're not always good things for the present either. But that's just what forces the decision to be made.
0: Well, we're we're getting under the gun here, so I, I have three real quick topics. So I'm going to throw this out almost rapid fire here. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, we talked about the future uh, players that we think uh, future prospects, shall we say, that you believe will be Red Wings next year. I keep hearing Evanson's a lock. It looks like Berggren, based on the sixty points that he had in Grand Rapids, which was the most by uh, uh, by a rookie. Uh, uh, in what GR history, I believe it was, and then uh, I, and I'm hearing that Albert Johansson is just tearing it up. That those three are probably the most likely candidates to be in in, in Detroit next year, and that Elmer Soderblom, uh, Will or Blom, I guess I should say that Elmer is coming over, and uh, he might be in the uh, you know the uh, the quick uh, uh, Detroit and uh, Grand Rapids train uh, quite a bit.
2: It's possible. I don't think they've yo-yoed guys, though, right? It's like typically I think if, if you're coming over, you're, they're going to put you in a spot until you're ready to be at the next spot. I don't think they want to do the up-and-down game. That's what happened with Bergeron this year. I'd order him exactly the order that you just read him. I think Edvinson's got the best chance. Then Bergeron, though it wouldn't surprise me to see him start in GR. I think Johansson probably starts in GR, but has a chance to surprise him in camp. And I think Suterblom's probably best off uh, with a year in GR to get used to the North American game, but obviously has a chance to surprise
1: I'll echo those thoughts a, a thousand percent, and I, uh, he's, he's not a Red Wing, but already he's my favorite Red Wing, I think, is Elmer Soderblom. I I just love watching the highlights of that guy. Honest to goodness, when I I spoke to Hawk and Anderson a couple of years ago now, he said, when this kid starts to learn how to protect the puck, and then I speak to him a year later, and said, boy, is he ever protecting the puck. We saw the hands early on, and the hands are even getting better. And just that size, every time I see him in a hug after a goal, I'm going, my goodness, it's a man amongst little children. just how big he is so I'm looking forward to watching Elmer Soderblom may not be next year but the year after it's going to be a lot of fun
0: well, you know, I, I mean, I agree with you. You know, there there's one of those diamonds in the rough. Since they drafted him in the sixth round, he has gotten nothing but considerably better from the virtually from the moment they drafted him. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago he came for the prospects tournament and he looked pretty darn good back then. Uh, let's uh, let's move on, as I said, because we're running out of uh, uh, out of time. Uh, Now, I have gotten inside information on this, and I know a few fellas have heard the same thing, but if the Red Wings had their way, what they really want to do in free agency is to get a second-line center and a second-line winger. They really want to upgrade the second line. Nothing against any of the other players that are on the second line or who have served on the second line this season, but they really, really want to establish Uh, the second line, which they have been a bit disappointed in.
1: Well, that that shouldn't be a secret to anybody. Yeah. I mean, Pew Suter is okay, but whether you're looking at a Trochek, whether you're looking at a Brian Rust, and there are many other names out there. And Brian Rust is a local kid. I think a lot of this, and Max, I'll turn it to you in our in our rapid fire segment. A lot of that too is players who want to be here and knowing that they're coming to a rebuild and they're probably not making the playoffs next season. So, what's the time frame on this? And you know, Steve hasn't been one to uh, to give out seven and eight years deals especially or a seven-year deal eight year whatever in, in a time right now when, you, when you're in the midst of a rebuild as well.
2: Yeah I think you, you mentioned you know Brian Rust is the local kid I'd add Andrew Cop into and that same conversation. Yeah that and guys, right you know yep. we've seen Steve Eisman leverage this in the past is okay if I can't offer you a term at least I can offer you you know something that maybe whether it was a childhood dream of playing for the Red Wings or it was or it's you know the, the ability to be close to family you got to use what you have, right? And so I think there's some really good players this summer that just happen to have connections to Southeast Michigan. You could certainly put Trocek into that mix, having played here um, in his younger days. And He
1: lived at the work. Murrays' house. He That's lived right. with Glenn and Lisa, so they've already got that going for them.
2: Well, could you lure in Andre Pallad based on the familiarity with Steve Eiserman? I think you got to use what you have. They, they, they probably realistically aren't going to give the seven-year deal, but they can offer some other things. They can offer ice time, they can offer money, and they can offer whether it's – familiarity whether it's proximity to home why not take advantage of that there's some good players who, who have those associations
0: well and I agree with you and also and I know we touched upon it earlier in the conversation of uh, you know depending maybe on who the head coach is too would uh, sure. would be a factor in uh, who decides to come here all right finally Red Wings uh, eighth pick overall in in the draft I do not expect uh, Simon Nemitz or uh, David Yerichek to drop. Uh, the two uh, considered to be top uh, top two defensemen in this class. I, I don't think it's going to be an Edvinson situation where he dropped to the Red Wings last year at six, which was a no-brainer. And I have to admit, uh, uh, Ken Daniels kept texting me during the draft to say, "It's Edmondson, it's Edmondson and you know, and I could not disagree with that. Uh, but uh, looking at it from this aspect, I would assume that at this point that the Red Wings need to replenish this forward course. Certainly they want to get some goal scorers in here. I know that's in, almost an impossible to predict uh, if, if a young man's going to be a goal scorer or not at the NHL level, but uh, where do you see them headed with the 8th pick overall? Go ahead, Max. Start us off.
2: Well, there's a lot of ways it could go. I'll just give you a few names here. Obviously in our athletic staff mock draft, I picked Cutter Gauthier for him. He's a versatile forward with size, with really good skating and a big shot. I think that's a, a nice piece to add who did play some center this year. Um, I, I look overseas to uh, the SHL and, and obviously a league dervings have drafted uh, out of in recent years. Marco Casper is an Austrian playing for Rogo. That's the team that uh, Mertz Sider played for and William Wallander is playing for right now. Um, he had a nice year there and, and he's also at the world championships right now. And against team USA, he, pl- he played a big role for that team at a young age. I think he had 19 minutes and he had an assist in that game. Um, I'm sure the Red Wings are paying attention there. Uh, you could look at the at the program. In addition to Gautier at, at the national team program, you got Frank Nazar, um, who's a really speedy forward, and then the other guy who I wonder if he could drop into their range would be Matthew Savoy out of the WHL. Competitive, uh, good skater, good shot, uh, all things I think the Red Wings are going to like. So he, he's a little undersized. Not clear if he's a center. But those would be four guys that I would kind of tentatively have circled right now.
1: Yeah, and and I'm with you on that. And the only guy I can really say that I've seen more than the others, and you know better than I, Max, but as you said, Matt Savoy is there now. He's not as big, but he doesn't take any crap from anybody. That's the one thing. He's so noticeable. He's so dynamic. He's got a good shot. He's an excellent passer. Does the current playoffs that we're watching now tell us that size matters? Maybe, but boy, where they're going to get a guy as noticeable as Matt Savoy if he's there, perhaps, and Marco Casper. Casper's playing at the Worlds, is he not? He
2: is, yeah. The Worlds.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, you know, another look at him there. And I know teams have talked about Brad Lambert and the, the outstanding skill that he has sort of like an athena CU, you i guess but i don't know if you've necessarily got the finish um for brad lambert but i and i've heard maybe you said it max that teams with maybe two picks in the first round that maybe a guy like lambert drops you don't necessarily want to go with that first pick in the top 10 would that be fair to say
2: yeah, I don't think that. I don't know if that was me who said it, but I, I definitely get the logic there. He's a guy who, for all the the physical, you know, gifts that he has, great skater. You notice him really obviously. He didn't. He just didn't have that production and league play that I think would really put you at ease. I think he's been really good at both of his World Junior showings, and that tells you he can do it. Um, but obviously w- when you look at the at the production in Liga with, with multiple teams really this year, it just didn't pop the way you would want the top 10 picks production to pop, and so that's probably the big question teams are asking themselves. Up for,
1: Can I ask you one more, Max? Outside yeah. of Shane Wright, is Logan Cooley the, the, the next best who's not going to drop to Detroit, but would he be the, the guy?
2: At the center position, yeah, and I, I yeah. really like Logan Cooley. I, I would imagine they really like Logan Cooley because he does a lot of things um, that, that could help them. He's a beautiful skater, electric skater, great skill. Um, he he would be kind of that offensive difference-making center prospect, m- maybe even more offensively dynamic than even Shane Wright, although Wright's got a hell of a shot. Um, but, but yeah, Cooley's dazzling, and, and he, he plays really hard, too. I, I would imagine that they would love to get him. I don't think there's any way he gets out of the top four.
1: No, I don't either. Is he a Zegras type?
2: Um, I think he's he's got more skating than Zegris. And to me, when I think Zegris, I think those dazzling passes that he can make. But in terms of, like, the, the electricity, the highlight factor, he definitely has that. I, I think I would call him faster than Zegris. Zegris, obviously, I think is one, so he's got a little more size. Um, but I definitely get it in terms of, like, they're both the, the highlight-worthy player, without a doubt.
0: Well, you know, uh, Logan Cooley did pull off a of Michigan in the U18s. There you go. So... <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, I like Logan Cooley also. I, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I think out of the uh, Wright Cooley and Savoy, the centers, uh, I, I agree with what Max said, too. I think Savoy might be the guy that drops. You know, the guy that I really like, and I, and it was just from what I saw in the U18s, and I've talked to Max about it, too, is that Jonathan Lockery Mackey or something, the uh, Swedish player. I know he's a, a winger. I know they want to go for center, but uh, uh, it'll be wide open. But uh, I, I think we're in agreement. Probably unless somebody drops, one of the stud defensemen drop, that they're definitely going for a forward and most likely center ice is the position they're going to address with that eighth overall pick.
2: Well, you know what? One thing I'll say is there is a defenseman playing in Saginaw, Pavel Minchikov, who is dazzling to watch. He is, I would say, probably overly aggressive. But he's really fun to watch, and he, he makes a lot of really aggressive reads. He, he's got good hands. He's a good skater, and, and he makes these aggressive defensive plays that I would say are too aggressive. You have to rein them in. If there was one defenseman who would creep in there, maybe that'd be the guy that I would say, and he's not too far away. Boy, I yeah. just
0: don't see him going D, though.
1: Well, you know what, though? They're just assets. It's just collateral. Right, right. I That's mean, true. you can make a deal. You can move somebody else. Um, doesn't hurt doesn't hurt to have it, and if that's where they're going best, you try to draft position, but if you think you've got a player who can help you and you move somebody else, that that's that's the beauty of the game. And I, and I know you're going to wrap this in a moment, Art. Can I just say my, my favorite moment of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I know as we record this we've got two more Game 7s to go yes. uh, on this Sunday evening, but I think overlooking my favorite moment of the Stanley Cup playoffs was, was Chris Kreider tearing that damn tablet right out of the hands of Mika Zibanejad and throwing it on the floor on the bench going stop watching yourself just play the game stop worrying about it I wish all players would stop watching every shift on a damn tablet and just play the game that was my favorite moment of the playoffs so far and if you haven't seen it go look it up I loved it
2: Uh, 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 Max uh, your favorite moment thus far boy putting me on the spot here there have been some good ones I mean Oh, I really probably need to sit down and think about it here. It, the The Rangers Penguins series has been full of just really good drama. It's it's been weird how many of the playoff games, for as good as these series have been, um, have been blowouts. But I guess I'd have to go back to Connor McDavid in the Game Seven game, the oh game, yeah. the play he had, where he just I think it was you know he, he tried a, a shot and he didn't get it. He got the rebound, he didn't get it, and then he got it one more on the backhand to to put that game away. I think that's the one, and, and really maybe a turning point moment for mcdavid where he kind of really becomes that playoff kind of guy because he hit another level for me as that series wound down
1: and it was andreas Athanasiou who did that little flyby right past him however skill beats any defense you want and when it's connor mcdavid he'll beat anybody That's but right. uh yeah that was a great play and just seeing max i know you and i were, were exchanging videos on that just seeing the the crowd outside the arena or inside, in Edmonton, watching outside as McDavid missed, and then he scored, and the crowd just erupted. And so, Kenny Holland gets through the first round. Great series. Uh, LA, L.A. surprised a lot of people, I think. And, and, you know, considering they did what they did without Drew Doughty, they're going to be a good team. They're well, going to be a good team.
0: My favorite moment was Toronto not getting out of the first round, obviously. Uh, uh, you know, kid, I, I I can't believe it I really can't believe it I mean Tampa's a great team don't get me wrong it was a great series but uh and I like Brandon Shanahan so much but geez I cannot uh, I, this is not Leafs talk but can do you they they can't blow that team up right I mean they're they're no. that good.
1: I don't I don't think you blow it up, but I do think you, you have to make changes. I think they're gonna buy out Peter Morazic. I think they have to. I never liked the deal when it was signed. Um, so and and how can you you know, Mikaiev, who's an unrestricted free agent, if you wanna keep him, if you wanna keep Jack Campbell, who turned down I don't know whether it was three million or whatever it was early on or four, whatever it was, what what deal is he gonna get if he's gonna be your number one goalie? Even if you buy out Morazic, you've maybe got i don't know eight to ten million in cap space to sign two or three or four guys and so do you have to i don't say blow it up but do you have to move a knee lander and now his contract doesn't look so bad however i think you gotta move somebody in there to get pieces that you're missing to be able to afford what you got yeah it's the nature of the cap world Right. It's the yeah.
2: nature of the cap world that, that every year you, you got to make changes. But I agree with you in principle. Right. Like whatever change they make it, a year ago, you might have said, is there something fundamentally wrong with kind of like the, the way that they're built? And I, I think you could still say they're too top heavy. I think that's fair. And I think right. the Tavares contract, we'll see how that ages. But I, Matthews and Marner showed me a ton this postseason. They, 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 I think, answered the questions that we had about them. They still didn't win the series, but I thought they played really well in Matthews, especially.
1: Yeah, and and we we talk about generational players, and as great as Matthews is, and he may win the MVP, when I see what Connor McDavid did, and I'm not blaming that Leaf loss on Matthews. Listen, they they lost one in overtime and lost by a goal. They could have had that series, and they had Tampa on the ropes, and I honestly thought in Game 7, Toronto was the better team, but Tampa had the experience to do what they need to do to block the shots, to close it down. And then you got Vasilevsky on the back end. I spoke to a former Red Wing, and I won't even mention his name, but I did speak to a Red Wing at our event that we had, and he was picking uh, the Maple Leafs. And I said, I just don't see Jack Campbell beating Andre Vasilevsky Uh through seven games. I just think Vasilevsky, it was just gonna be, I didn't see Toronto getting out of the first round, but they got a very good team. So to your point, Art, yeah, I, I, I don't see them blowing them up, but I think as Mac said in the cap world, Changes have to be made.
2: All right, what the goal five. That Vasilevsky uh, gave up in that game was the first goal he's given up in his last six elimination closeout games. How about that?
0: Well, he's he's he, he's the best goalie in the league, world. I mean, I you know I, I I'm I'm Captain Obvious there, but uh, I I agree with what what you said, Ken. I mean, I just look at a game seven and nothing against Port Huron own Jack Campbell. Uh, even though he reneged on his commitment to Michigan, uh, I'll never forgive you, Jack. But uh, but 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 with that said, uh, uh, you know Vasilevsky's just money. I mean that guy. It's tough to go against a two-time defending Stanley Cup champion in a Game Seven, regardless of where it's played. When you have Vasilevsky in net, I mean that's yeah. that's it's. You you know, hey, good luck with it if you want. But okay, finally. Before the season, you know, I got in this little pool and all this. I've picked Carolina to win the Stanley Cup this year. Based on the way it's all coming down, Max and Ken, who hoists Lord Stanley's Cup at the end?
1: Well, do you want two from each? Well, I'm going with Colorado. Let's put it that. I think, okay. I think you know, we haven't got to a game seven yet with Calgary-Dallas. And, boy, I felt badly for Luke Lendening taking that hit. But, oh, anyway, yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm going with Colorado.
2: Yeah, I I picked Tampa over Calgary when I did my my bracket. But Braden Point has since gotten hurt. Calgary is having some trouble with Dallas. I think I'd like to to jump onto Ken's bandwagon if I'm allowed to.
1: Oh, you can, Max. You you can jump my bandwagon anytime you like.
2: There we go. Well, there
1: you I, go. I'm, I'm going to jump on yours. How's that? All right. Well,
0: I I've got Carolina beating uh, Colorado in the final. So uh, I, I, there's some about Carolina that I you know I liked them last year because they were in the Red Wings division. And there was just something about that team and the way that they play defense. And I think that, uh, you know, they're pretty deep on the forward core and score goals. And I know goaltending sometimes might be, uh, you know, it, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. All right, gentlemen. Uh, with that, I promised you that we would go 40, 45 minutes at the most, and we're at 53. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, You weren't
1: even close, Art.
0: No, but uh, but it's always a pleasure Thank you. We'll do this again when training camp hits after all the moves are made and we know who the coaches and we know who the free agents are and, you know, what moves Steve and Steve does not make in the offseason. And uh, uh, we'll uh, uh, go, come back and assess again. But uh, uh, Max Boltman from The Athletic and Ken Daniels from Valley Sports Detroit, the uh, television voice of the Red Wings. Gentlemen, thank you very, very much. I, I always enjoy talking to you You guys are great friends of mine. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Red and White Authority. Thank you. Same here. Thanks. Thanks guys. Thank you.
1: It was Anytime. it was fun.
2: Take care.